Welcome to the Sports Analytics Podcast, your source of information you can use along your journey in the world of sports analytics. Through interviews with experts and thought leaders, we'll uncover how data science, artificial intelligence, and analysis tools are being used for competitive advantage in sports. We'll also explore industry trends and career opportunities. So now, hold on to your data, folks, because this program is ready to launch. It will take the computer a few moments to compile the information. Here is your host, Terry Frederick. Hello, listeners. On today's show, we'll learn how analytics are being used by the number one ranked Division Three men's college basketball team. We'll take a look at how the use of sports analytics is exploding at Davidson College. And we'll take a look at how a basketball shooting analysis app with artificial intelligence is being used as part of a virtual basketball training program. And how does one prepare for a career and find opportunities in sports analytics? All coming your way now. Let's get to the show. I have a very special guest today, someone who played college basketball at Davidson College. He played professionally in Belfast, Northern Ireland, part of the National League title-winning team. He is now the assistant coach, one of the assistant coaches, at Swarthmore College for the men's team. That's a Division Three team and a very successful team, I might add. What an unbelievable run for this team over the past two years. Last year, they played in the championship game. This year, they were on par to possibly be there again, ranked number one all season, 28-1, and unfortunately, we know why basketball came to an end. And then, my guest is also the CEO of Brian Ansel Basketball and ranked number one on Coach Up in Pennsylvania. He has a Bachelor of Science of Psychology from Davidson and a Master's in Sports Management from Ulster University in Belfast, Ireland. Please welcome to the show today, Ryan Ansel. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Terry. Great to be here. Fantastic. I'm glad you're here. Uh, boy, we're all missing basketball right now, and uh, it's, it's, kill- it's killing me. I know it's killing you, yeah. especially having the training business, but, but I think you're managing your way in that right now. Yeah, you got to pivot and find new ways to reach the kids and keep them motivated. That's key. Absolutely. So what I was hoping we could do today, Ryan, was get your insight into over the course of when you played in college basketball and your uh, career playing professionally and now being on a number one ranked team, a men's basketball team, kind of get an inside look on how film study and this thing called basketball analytics has evolved over the years. So maybe you could take us back a little bit to uh, the days at Davidson and kind of what you saw with respect to film study, how it worked, and where you're seeing things going now with the Swarthmore men's team. Yeah, so uh, well, I'm going to start even back to my time at Chestnut Hill Academy, uh, just for the oh, way it high changed, yeah, high for school. the way it changed from in high school, we'd have the DVDs and we'd plug the DVD in and sit in a small room on couches and uh, in the basement and 
sort of just skip through some parts and watch some plays. And I don't really know if there's a rhyme or reason uh, now, but it was just a lot different with the technology. And uh, as, as a manager and then a player at Davidson, I sort of got to see the way things changed just over my four years pretty drastically uh, because in a large part because of analytics changing within basketball at the NBA level, which obviously filters down and the resources with synergy and uh, huddle and the different technologies they have now. Uh, but at Davidson, we also had a group of managers who were math majors. So from my freshman year to my senior year, a lot changed because those kids went from freshman at Davidson to senior managers who were very involved with the basketball team, but also studying math. And the hot topic was sports analytics. So they were obviously interested in merging their two loves into one potential career. So my senior year, uh, cat stats started is what they call it for the Wildcats. And it for, for with, Davidson. For Davidson, yes. What was that like a, a sports analytics like group? Yeah, so it was sort of a group of senior math majors who teamed up with uh, Dr. Tim Chartier, who's been interviewed by ESPN, by LA Times, New York Times for his wizardry with putting together March Madness predictions. Uh, So they sort of took what they'd been doing, modeling for March Madness, and then went a little bit deeper and sort of figured out how they could do game to game stats uh to help the coaching staff so i think the way the first year is sort of just trial and error just present different stats and they would look at all these in-depth stats and try and pick one or two points to share with the coaching staff each week and uh or before each opponent just to try and keep it in bite-sized information because As you know, there's so much with synergy. Uh, You can see how many times a guy shoots spot-up jumpers versus transition versus off the screen versus pick and roll. Uh, You can see how many times they go right off the dribble versus left and how many times they go left shoulder or right shoulder in the post. And so, so they really took the stats to a new level. And since then at Davidson, I know it's, just like it has within all sports, it sort of exploded. And now they have a team of students working with the men's basketball, women's basketball, football, women's soccer, volleyball, baseball, and swimming. So So I think you said the staff there has grown to like almost 70 now for like doing all sports. Yeah. Back, I guess I've had their website up, but in 2017, 2018, they had 70 kids working. Wow. So that just sort of shows and they've worked with NBA teams, NFL teams, and even NASCAR. So, wow. <laughs> uh, well, but you touched Ryan, you touched on something that I think is really interesting with respect to, you know, your experience seeing kind of the analytics grow and then all that data. And I'm curious to your perspective and insight, uh, not only when you played then, uh, but now as part of the very successful men's Swarthmore basketball team, how that information gets 
disseminated to players and coaches such that they're not overwhelmed with this information. Yeah, for example, at Swarthmore, we'll give the guys their player profile sheets, which will, if a kid's averaging 20 plus points or 18 plus points, depending on the team, we'll put under their name, like averages X amount of points, just so that our guys are aware, like this guy is sort of their engine or creates a lot. And then the only other real, the only other two stats we'll really give our guys is, uh, I guess there's a few we'll give them if a guy's at like averages two plus offensive rebounds, just so that we know we got to hit this guy, box him out. Uh, if a guy is a poor free throw shooter, we'll mark that down for, but like I said, this is only for their top uh, seven or eight guys. It's not for everyone on their team. Uh, but if there's a poor free throw shooter so that our guys, when it comes to the game, it, if there is a time we call it a foul, We'll usually tell them, but just so they know, like, this is a guy who, if he's on the court, they instinctively will know, as well as three-point percentage. But those are all very basic stats. We're not going into anything in-depth. And part of that is we don't want them overthinking, Mm -hmm. and a number isn't going to help them guard a guy. So, like, me knowing that this guy – but we'll keep it very, very simple so that it's bullet points and also – we generally, like when we watch film, that's generally the place where some, a tendency will show them the tendency one or two times on film so that they're aware of it and can visualize it. And then I'd say the biggest thing for players is it's less about a sheet of paper or the film, but one thing that at Swarthmore we've done very well and our scout team is a huge part of getting our guys ready for each game because the scout team, they know what their job is. So if a guy, say our four man on scout team is playing a guy who likes to go to his right hand every time, when he plays in practice the two days before we play that opponent, he's going to make sure to play as similar to that player. And that's something our guys on scout team take a lot of pride in. And this year we had a bigger roster, which helped us because we were able to have different guys give different looks so we can sub someone in who may be the guy off the bench who shoots threes as a four man, but then still have the big guy who bruises inside. So I think that's a huge advantage. And I think at the college level, when you have limited time and it's not their full-time job, they're still studying, that's sort of the biggest way to use analytics is to get the guys on the scout team to mimic the tendencies oh. that you've seen in film. Yeah. Uh, and as a coaching staff, we know more and have more in-depth knowledge of what's going on, but the players at that level don't really, like NBA guys, that's their full-time job. They can study that stuff. They can have big printouts, but our guys are sometimes staying up late studying. We don't need them then coming in and reading a book about what the team likes to do. <laughs> right. So we try and keep it mm-hmm. as simple as possible, but find sort of those tendencies uh, so that our guys are aware, but aren't overthinking, but aware that this guy's going to go right. Because some guys at our level too may only go right, may only go left, or uh, and you can sort of take advantage of that if you know that. And we find that to be an advantage of ours because we got smart guys who are high IQ who are willing to pay attention to those details. Hey, listeners, time for a short break. But before we do, I have a question for you. 
it's pretty clear that the three-point shot has revolutionized basketball and has accelerated the use of basketball analytics. Do you know what year the NBA adopted the three-point shot and who made the first NBA three-pointer? Find out after the break. You know, in these unprecedented times, we're dealing with the world health crisis. I wanted to take a minute and shed some light on a serious issue that was with us before the health crisis and is still a big problem. And that is food insecurity, especially for kids. I just want to mention that if you can, please consider donating to a food bank. FeedingAmerica.org is a great website to find a food bank in your area. You know, no family or child should go hungry. Okay, before the break, I asked what year the NBA adopted the three-point shot and who made the first three-pointer. Well, it was the 1979-80 season, October 12, 1979, season opener for the Boston Celtics and Larry Bird's first game. Oh, the suspense. It was not Larry. It was Villanova University's own Chris Ford who tickled the nets with the NBA's first three-pointer. Thought it was going to be Larry. Okay, let's get back to the show and my interview with Coach Ryan Ansel. So I think you hit on something very important for any listeners that are in the coaching ranks or aspiring to move up in levels of coaching. It's important for coaches to understand the level of play given how the athlete can even absorb the information. And I would say the one thing uh, that we have while, like I said, we want to simplify it, but we also have guys who are generally high, high IQ and can think, but aren't necessarily as instinctive as some of the Division I guys who just have played more and are just a higher level of athlete. So that's something we sort of find is we want to take advantage of that strength rather than just be like, oh, yeah, we got a bunch of smart guys. It's like, well, they're smart and they're able to process this information. So we want to give it to them, but also we don't want to give them too much. Uh, The other thing I find very interesting, and perhaps you could give some more insight on it, is how that process works during the course of the season. You know, you're time limited. You've got this information you got to gather. You've got this information you got to get to your scout team, as you said, get to the players. Take me through a little bit, and for our listeners, kind of what that process looks like and that rhythm that you get into during the season. Yeah, so uh, the assistant coaches sort of take care of the, well, they do the initial prep, and then Coach Kozmalski comes in and sort of reviews uh, the information provided, the clips, whatnot, and the stats, and then together puts together what we'll share with the players, uh, which is a tiny bit of what we look at as a staff. And then after each game, we'll review the film of that game, and Landry will do the film breakdown uh, from Coach Landry. Yeah, Coach Kozmalski. We'll do the breakdown from the game before with the things he wants to highlight for things we could have done better, things we did well. We always show like clips of 
our bench and the, our team spirit and how our mentality, because that's very important to our culture. And so it's sort of a rhythm of like before the game, before we play an opponent, we'll show film the day before and then they see what the team's going to do. We go out and practice it. And then by the second or the first day, hold on, I messed that up. <laughs> so the first day we'll go through it, but they won't have seen the film. And then it's usually a little rough. They're seeing new things, a different offense run by our scout team. And then we watch film and the next day that we come out. And by then they've seen it once in a day of practice. They've seen it on film. And then by that second day, they're usually ready. Things are clicking. And then like we always tell our guys, it's like that day before the game, it's not perfect, but now we know what we need to do. And by that game day, we're sort of set. But so I would say... Yeah, the biggest thing is the rhythm is just like get the scout, we prepare, give them a bite-sized piece, and then go out and do it on the court. You touched on the uh, a big part of a, a winning program, and, and that's that culture. Uh, I found it interesting that the video folks are, are taking uh, film of, of the bench and have the bench's reaction during the game. That's, that's very interesting and enlightening. Very yeah. interesting. Yeah, and it's just little things, whether it's running over to help a teammate up, whether it's guys on the end of the bench being into the game, uh, talking and sort of supporting their teammates. And like we t say, take strain is a big thing we talk about. And whether you're on the bench or on the court, you can be taking strain for your teammates by communicating and sharing information. So that's a big part of what sort of we preach and we think separates us from other teams. So are you guys keeping stats on that? You know, how many times a guy runs over and, you know, picks another guy? Up? Uh, no, we don't have quite the resources to do that, but we expect it to happen every time. So it should be 100% of the time. There you time, go. So. It's an expectation. Yeah. Right. It's a non-negotiable, right, from the coach? Yep. It's something yeah. from recruiting to, uh, like, everything. That's something we look for. It's not just when guys show up on campus. We recruit the guys who we know are willing to do that and – uh, yeah. It makes a difference. As you also mentioned, you know, uh, stuff that's happening at the highest levels ends up finding its way into the lower levels. And we all know uh, the data being collected now in the arenas with all these cameras in the NBA and player movement and all that. Do, we, do you ever envision the day that we start to see this stuff filter down to, uh, you know, successful D3 basketball programs? I would say... <laughs> I do see it filtering down if if it continues to be like I don't know how long it'll take for that technology to be affordable in the cameras because I remember I think yeah. it was an internship at like the Bobcats had just gotten those fancy player movement cameras my senior year and they were looking for someone to come in and do like work with them uh and I know those things are very expensive and the other mm -hmm. thing is it takes time for it to work its, I guess, way down, but also the resources is a big issue. If we have most D3 programs have one full-time assistant, so yeah. how, mm -hmm. like, at some point you don't have enough resources to make that technology worth even having. Right, uh, right, right. Like, while it can give you cool information, can you make it useful to your team and your program? That's difficult if you have two coaches who are also trying to 
do every other aspect of running a program. Before we jump into some questions I have about your training business, so what advice would you have for someone seeking a career in sports analytics? Uh, I would say if they are interested in math and sports and that's something they know from high school or around that age, getting in and getting involved and sort of finding ways to merge those two interests is key because I have friends who work in the NBA now and it all started because they were managers at Davidson for the basketball team and they were math majors. And then there was that marriage between the two, which allowed them to get internships and then now full-time with the Bulls, working for the Mavs, doing different things that as a college kid, they didn't think about until sort of the analytics exploded and that became the perfect uh, combination. But I think because it has become such a big thing in sports, that also means there's a lot of opportunities in that area. But also now it's become very competitive because a lot of people who liked sports and liked numbers got into the field. So my advice would be just like with someone who's interested in pursuing coaching is find a program, a place where you can add value. And whether you're doing it just as a volunteer or along with being a student, you're a manager providing analytics work at your university or college. I think the key is getting those opportunities to gain knowledge and experience so that you can then when it comes time to get a job or get into the field, you have something where you have added value to a staff and that staff then knows another staff where you can go be a graduate assistant. And it's all about those relationships and networking. Mm -hmm. But I think if you just, if you don't find somewhere where you can add value, then it's tough for you to gain that experience and that new knowledge and uh, sort of bring that to become a profession. Yeah. Uh, boy, that's really good, good stuff um, for anyone seeking a career. I believe the uh, not only going to remain competitive, but I think there's going to be more and more opportunity. Just wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, you've got a very successful training business. You've had to adapt a little bit here with uh, the, the unfortunate health crisis that's going on right now in the world, not being able to see people on the court. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, the one tool that you're using. I believe it's called Home Court and uh, kind of what it does and how you use it because I think it fits that category of an analytics tool for basketball. Yeah, so Home Court it is, and uh, it uses artificial intelligence. It's able to know if you make a shot, miss a shot. It gives you the speed at which you step into the shot, your release angle. Uh, it gives you how high you jump, uh, your leg angle. So it gives you a bunch of information, which now is available to a 10 year old kid. Whereas before that wasn't even available to college programs. Uh, and it is pretty cool with the, being able to measure the arc on your shot just so that you can sort of find consistency because shooting's all about like maybe having the right angle, but also consistently shooting it at that angle. So it is a tool where you can shoot the ball and 
it can give you audio feedback on every shot, whether you make it or miss it to whether your arc is 45% or 55% at the release. So that's something that I've sort of, I found and incorporated into my training business uh, because not only are kids able to get all this information and track their shots, but also I'm able to go in and see every workout they do and give them feedback. The other thing that I like too is even just if you take away the like artificial intelligence that measures where the shot's from and shot chart and all that, the fact that a kid can put their phone on the court and track how many makes and misses they have. And then also just for the makes part is I can tell a kid to go make 250 shots today and then he can know if he made 250 shots versus counting right. every shot. So we're going to wrap up here in a minute, but uh, maybe share for our audience that uh, how they might be able to reach you or get involved in your virtual training. I mean, now you basically can offer this training not just to one specific area, but to uh, really anyone now, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's the cool thing. And I have worked, done virtual stuff with kids in Sweden and uh, England and Ireland. So it's kind of now I've refined it to a point where I have it all set and I can add, like I'm adding someone to the program today. And also I have a leaderboard so people can see what other kids are doing. Yeah, so the best way to reach me is you can go to my website, ryananselbasketball.com or email me at ryananselbasketball at gmail.com. And that's R-Y-A-N-A-N-S-E-L and then basketball. Uh, Excellent. Excellent. But yeah, so... I'm excited. And like you said, I've had to pivot and I think it's been pretty successful. And now it's something that in addition to doing in-person training for the infinite future, I can do some online stuff. And I think it's something I've wanted to do, but never have had the time to do because I went from gym to gym, court to court. Ryan, I want to wrap up the show here in a minute, but I know you're involved with uh, a really good cause. And maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about access to success. Yeah, so Access to Success was founded by a Davidson grad who's from Nigeria, and I've gotten very involved with them, obviously the Davidson Connection, but he came over to Davidson and earned a Division One scholarship, but grew up playing basketball with no shoes and in Nigeria where the resources were very limited, and I was just on a call with them and other people who support the foundation and they do great work over there with after-school programs, basketball camps, and now obviously everything has to be remote. And over there, it's a lot different. Everyone doesn't have access to Wi-Fi, so now their costs have actually increased because they have to print everything out and they mm. have to have data hubs for the teachers to still provide as much resources as they can to the students. So yeah, they do great work and they do stuff in Nigeria in, in addition to bringing Nigerian students over to go to high school here and earn scholarships or earn uh, entrance to uh, American universities. Hey, Ryan, really good conversation today. I am so grateful that you came on the show today. The insight you shared with my listeners today is just good stuff with that winning program there at Swarthmore. And, uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Do you have any other thoughts or anything for my listeners today? 
No, I would just say if you're interested in sports analytics or coaching, the key is put yourself out there, find somewhere where you can add value, and those relationships and that experience is what's going to help you find a career in something you're passionate about. Fantastic. Couldn't have said it any better. Ryan, my friend, thank you for coming on the show. And we're going to call that a wrap. I'll let you get out of the gym. (laughs) Thank you very much, Terry. It was great being on and uh, good luck. Stay safe and healthy. Thank you. You do the same. That does it for the show today. But before I go, here are a couple of value bombs from the show. The use of sports analytics is exploding. Davidson College Cat Stats Group has over 70 students doing sports analytics for their sports teams. You need to boil analytics data down to a few key things to give to players. Keep it simple. You don't want players overthinking in games. And Swarthmore Basketball, a D3 school, attributes much of their success to translating analytics data for use by the scout team in practices to prepare for opponents. This is very important at the, at the Division three level where practice time is very limited. When pursuing a career in sports analytics, find a program or place where you can add value. Volunteer to gain experience and start building your network. You can find show notes, summaries, and resources mentioned on the show at my website, terrylfrederick.com. That's T-E-R-R-Y-L-F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C-K.com. Please subscribe to my show. I'm in all the directories. A rating or comment helps me make the show better. Well, that does it for today. Please listen next week as my guest will be Mike DiPartolo, the Assistant General Manager of Baseball Operations for the World Champion Washington Nationals. Thanks for listening.